0: Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland. A podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Camleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Today we are continuing our journey to the Isle of Kerrera on the west coast of Scotland and you'll get to meet the person who suggested we go there in the first place. Kirsty Palace is a mountain guide and climbing instructor from Argyll. She has spent many a family days out on the Isle of Kerrera. And as an avid island bagger, I was very excited to take her up on the suggestion to explore this wee island near Oban together. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, Traces, yet, it is worth going back in order to learn a bit about the island and get a sense of what my day trip with Kirsty looked like. For now, let's get back to Kirsty, though. I knew I wanted to have a mountain leader on the show, because even though I've climbed a fair share of mountains in Scotland and beyond... I love hiring a guide whenever I'm exploring a new mountain area. There's just something about the safety net they provide, but also the knowledge of local stories and landscapes that make a day out in the hills with a guide even more enjoyable. Our day with Kirsty was no exception. About halfway through our walk, we sat down at the Kirra tea garden, set up our mics and started talking about her life as a climbing instructor, her passion for the hills and islands of Argyll, and some of the issues that are dear to her heart. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's hear it from Kirsty Palace.
1: Kirsty Palace. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a mountaineering instructor and general mountain person in on the west coast of Scotland.
0: <laughs> what does that entail being a mountain in, mountaineering instructor or a mountain person? What, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means I
1: spend most of my life in waterproofs. <laughs> or this year anyway. Um no, so I do a mix of things, just taking people out to experience the mountains, mostly in Scotland, whether it's for their first time heading uphill or doing a Munro or guiding uh, some classic scrambles like the Anakigic on the Sky Cooling. Um, And then I do a bit of climbing work as well, so taking people climbing, teaching them to be, or helping them progress to becoming independent rock climbers and I also work a little bit on training courses for new instructors too. So like on the
0: mountain leader training courses and that kind of thing. And is that something, I know you've mentioned Yanoch Igach and Glencoe and and the cooling on Skye, but is the Argyll area where you're based, is that a good place to be based? Or does it take you all over Scotland? Uh, Most most of the work is outside of Argyll.
1: Yeah, most of the work I head up to Glencoe or Fort William or the Cairngorms or Skye. So yeah, it does take me all over, but I still like living here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's a good place to have access to all of those areas and many more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a nice
1: place and it's just nice for doing other things as well. Like I live really close to a beach and I can just pop down there or there's like mountain biking nearby and stuff like that. So I, I like living here even though I have to
0: drive a bit further to go to work. Hmm, and were the mountains always part of your life and was that always something you knew you wanted to do for your job or did that come a bit later
1: yeah a, a bit of a mix so my parents would always take me and my sister out hill walking when we were younger um so my Sister's two years younger than me, and we did our first Monroe when I was nine, and she was seven and we 'd done a few since, and they 'd take us out every weekend to do something but i didn 't really realize it was a job option till I did work experience at school and went to an outdoor um, center working with like primary seven kids and then I still for the last couple of years of school didn 't completely think about it but um by the end of school I, was, I didn't want to go to uni I knew I was kind of done with education for a little while so did an outdoor education apprenticeship and mm. just kind of
0: took off from there. Tell me more about that, that because I think an apprenticeship that sounds so fascinating to do in that kind of field and I know now I guess there are in so many of the colleges around Scotland are more of those kind of outdoor qualification courses. Yeah. Um, that are maybe a bit more tight to like going to school like the traditional route maybe of, of yeah. further education but yeah the apprenticeship that how does that work what did you learn so, and how did that work so I was working for an outdoor organization
1: so it's a modern apprenticeship which meant I would go out on the like on sessions assisting other instructors the organization put me through some courses um while I was there and then I got an svq as well so it's a Scottish vocational qualification. I think the equivalent to an NVQ. The Scottish equivalent to an NVQ. So there's a bit of like a bit of theory-based stuff too. But just it meant that you got a lot of hands-on time, like doing the activities and working with groups, which I think is where it differs from some of the college courses, which are more a bit more maybe theory-based or you get like outdoor weeks where you go and do stuff, mm-hmm. whereas most weeks for us were like outdoor weeks (laughs) (laughs) Uh so yeah and it gave us access to other qualified instructors who would take us out and um in in their free time or and we go and do other things
0: yeah and was it would you say was easy for you to get into that line of work or was it quite a challenge to get be a part of that industry and kind of get a start and get a foothold?
1: Um, it was quite easy for me just with the situation, like I knew the organisation that I did my apprenticeship with because I'd been on trips with them when I was a kid and mm. stuff like that and I think I basically just pestered them. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, it was quite easy for me and it felt quite comfortable because I kind of knew, knew the, the organisation a little bit and I started my apprenticeship with a friend as well, we started at the same time so that was nice too. And is your friend
0: also still doing it now?
1: Um no, she has moved on into veterinary nursing. Oh wow, something yeah. completely different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we had a great time. Um, lots of like good memories of us just going out and jumping in the sea or like going up a mountain in the snow and then coming back and being like, Maybe we should have got our ice axes out for that bit actually. But you know, <laughs> it's all those little things where you're like, Oh yeah. It's good learning experiences.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I would really love to know is what the kind of pathway is of getting to where you are now. I, get, I imagine that it will look different for a lot of different people, but certain qualifications, I, I, I'm sure, are kind of a must. So what are the kind of milestones of that sort of career path?
1: Yeah, so I when I started my apprenticeship, I got a variety of qualifications for different activities. So I have some like for paddle sports and things like that, but I've I've kind of like specialised into mountain mountaineering or that's where I've put most of my time and energy over the last few years. So it started for me with a mountain leader uh, qualification and each of the qualifications have a training course and then a consolidation period and then an assessment course that you need to pass. So yeah, I started with my mountain leader training when I was 18 and then I did an assessment a few years later and then there was... It's now called the Rock Climbing Instructor Award. It was the Single Pitch Award when I did it as well. So that is the course that allows you to like do climbing sessions with groups and that kind of thing. I then went on, well, at the same time as my Rock Climbing Instructor, actually, I did my Winter Mountain Leader as mm-hmm. well. Um, so I can take people out in winter and look at some winter skills and um, yeah, do like winter journeys with people, which is really really good fun. Um, and then my kind of the the latest one I've got is the mountaineering and climbing instructor so that one moves on a little bit from both the mountain leader and the rock climbing instructor and it allows you to take people scrambling um, teach lead climbing for trad and sport climbing and also um, go multi-pitch climbing mm-hmm. so on bigger cliffs in the mountains and sea cliffs and that kind of thing
0: that's really really cool but
1: also quite scary. (laughs) It it is, yeah. It's a lot of responsibilities sometimes. You're like, oh yeah, these people's lives are kind of in
0: my hands right now. (laughs) Well, that really perfectly leads me to my next question. of, like, you know, what are some of the skills? I think people, when I think of a mountain guide or a hiking guide, you know, you have an image in your head, but you don't necessarily think about all the skills that go into it. So what are some of the you know, required skills and what makes a good mountain leader?
1: Yeah, so there's, you know, it's quite easy to list, like, technical skills. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to be able to, like, have safe rope systems and build safe belays and be able to judge when, when you need to change, like, tactics to make things safe and that kind of thing. So there's that side of things, but I think a lot of... What makes someone really good is the people skill side of things and being able to like just give your clients a good time, so be nice and chatty and stuff. <laughs> but also be really aware like if somebody's not enjoying it and like have loads of options up your sleeves or be able to chat people through things or think about how just just knowing people. And knowing the signs of when somebody is suddenly not having a good time and it's probably not great to carry on mm. um, and being really adaptable. Yeah, I think there are probably some
0: yeah. key ones. Are there any kind of misconceptions you think people have about mountaineering leaders? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what that are some They're of them? <laughs> usually like tall
1: men, maybe with a beard, optional beard. <laughs> 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 um but yeah. And I you're none of these things. <laughs> I'm not. I am like five foot zero, maybe half an inch.
0: Depends. We'll give you the half an inch. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and I don't have a beard. Yeah. So I think sometimes people are surprised if I turn up and they're like, oh, you're going to take us on this. And yeah, I think, I think people think you just have to look really big and strong. And I don't think I am particularly big. Well, I'm not big. I'm not, like, particularly strong. But you just need to
0: be strong enough. I guess it's about efficiency as well. Yeah. When we were hiking up to, or walking up to to the fort on the hill here yeah. on the island, um, it reminded me of another hiking guide I went out with, uh, also a relatively short female hiking guide and um, I remember thinking then and thinking again today oh mountain leaders are basically just like mountain goats they just are really nimble (laughs) maybe being short even helps because your center of gravity is lower so you can adapt better to really steep cliff sides and things like that just just well practiced and experienced yeah and I hope you don't mind can I ask have you ever had clients who seem to be you said people are sometimes surprised to seem very skeptical of of your abilities or
1: no i don't think i've had anyone that's been outwardly skeptical um and i just i think i'm quite um quite a chatty person so i think usually i just like blether away and then hopefully people change their minds if they were but i do find sometimes that people like are almost caring towards me even though like they're my clients. <laughs> they're like they're like oh you're gonna be all right on that section and I'm like yes thank you thank you though it's really nice
0: but um
1: yeah like yeah I think that's the main thing but I mean that's not it's not a bad thing it's quite nice
0: <laughs> it's not the worst thing in the world to have someone no. ask if you're okay <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. You've just taken us on a little tour on the Isle of Kerara and we are now actually going to hear a clip from our walk and some of the things we've discovered on the island.
1: The season who we met, she also used to run the tea garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some of my parents' neighbours ran it years and years and years ago as well. So yeah, it's had like a bit of a... It's, it's always been there and it's always been run by people who keep it with the same kind of atmosphere, mm. it's very much like a nice community island vibe. Mm.
0: Um,
1: not it's not like a commercial business venture really. Yeah. It's there as a a Kira thing really. <laughs> and it brings tourists over as yeah. well, which is good. So they've had a community buyout of the schoolhouse mm-hmm. to create a kind of community space um, for the island um and there's two local lads I think when they were eight they did a fundraising swim from the mainland to the island oh, wow. to raise money as part That's of cool. the I can't don't think it was for the buyout but I think it was for the the kind of bigger projects yeah but yeah two we like I don't think I'm sure I'd be able to float over but I don't think I could swim over. Yeah, well, it does, actually it, it does seem,
0: you know, it's not that far on a boat, but <laughs> no, no. swimming is it's significant and enough. the water must be moving in and out. Well, that's the other thing. The tide runs through.
1: Yeah. So they do a triathlon over here called the Craggy Island Triathlon, mm-hmm. which um starts with it starts on the mainland and the swim is um you swim over to the island and then you pick up your bike and you do Cycle a lap of the island oh. and then you run up over the highest point. Um, and so the mountain rescue do kind of some of the marshalling and the safety covers. Mm-hmm. So I've been there for quite a few years, just often at the top of the island. Um, and I can look down and see the swim. And some years everyone can swim in a straightish line, and other years. The tide's like barreling through, and people are getting like they drift 500 meters, wow. which they then have to swim. So, yeah, the swims it doesn't feel like a constant length,
0: mm-hmm. um, it just and, depends so much on the tide,
1: yeah. And if you're a weaker swimmer and take longer, then you get shifted more, yeah. so you have more to swim,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, triathlons are. For the kinds of people that are not me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I you know. have to have a specific mindset to uh, want that. Yeah, yeah, I don't.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's not for me.
0: I think I'd like to come over
1: and bike the loop because I think it's quite mm. fun. Um, yeah. And it's nice going up to the highest point. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure I could handle the swim.
0: Now, I know another thing you are working on is something called Our Shared Outdoors. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about it and the work that you do with it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, Our Shared Outdoors is, well, it's now actually a registered charitable organisation, which is very exciting. But we set up in 2020 with a view to changing the narrative about who belongs in the outdoors and who's seen as belonging in the outdoors. It started with just a few friends having conversations and reaching out to other people, mostly on Instagram, which is where everything happens, I think, and meeting new people who are interested to be involved in the work too. Um,
0: Yeah. And so it was you who started our shared outdoors, right? Why did you think it was important to... Get that ball rolling. So I think working
1: in the industry for a long time, I noticed that quite often I'm the only uh, person of colour around, and having conversations with friends, not necessarily in working in the industry, but just recreationally, it was seen like it's it's mirrored across the whole of the outdoors. Um, So yeah, I wanted to change that um, and got a group together through various contacts who were passionate about the same thing.
0: And what are the kinds of things that you do with our shared draws? You mentioned yeah. social media and that is a big part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've uh, we've had a quiet quiet year at the moment, I think. We're all voluntary, so uh, work's taken over for all of us a bit recently, but we've done some kind of informative or educational Instagram posts around um, different issues that people have in the outdoors, whether it's around ethnicity or fatphobia or the LGBTQ plus community and about why like inclusivity is important and how not talking about it is exclusive in itself. Um, we've also done film events. Well, we've run one and we've got another planned for the autumn which are focused on films about people from less well represented backgrounds or underrepresented backgrounds in the outdoor space. And hopefully for the next one we'll get a filmmaker or, or somebody in to do a bit of a QA as well. And we have a website being built at the moment which will have a list of funding opportunities um, that people can access, whether that's funding towards going on a skills course, going on a like a trip or funding towards doing outdoor qualifications. And we'll also be on hand to
0: help people write applications or, or look over things as well. Mm. That's amazing. And and I think that sounds like you're covering so many of the basics where, you know, it's getting more people into the outdoors, but at the same time also getting more people into the industry who then deliver. Yeah. Who get even more people into the outdoors. It's it's like a domino effect, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's something that I notice a lot So I do some work, like I've, The Professional Association for Mountaineering Instructors is the Association of Mountaineering Instructors. And I'm part of the... um, We have an equity and diversity working group that I'm part of. And part of that is looking at how we can increase the diversity within Mountaineering Instructors. But we can't really do anything directly because people need to have a certain amount of experience and some qualifications already. So for us to do anything, it needs to be at the grassroots Mm -hmm. level. So yeah, there's, it's like all kind of interlinked yeah, as it well is. with the work.
0: And you need to feel like you the space is for you. Absolutely. And it is a space that you are, I don't like the word, entitled to use yes. and to in, in, yeah. inhabit and
1: yeah. be in. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think it's just changing the sense of belonging and and of who, who belongs in those spaces or who's seen as belonging in those spaces. And actually we should all be able to feel a sense of belonging in those spaces.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about the films that
1: were. were selected
0: at that event and then kind of what kinds of films you're looking at?
1: Yeah, so we're looking at films that either like follow or are based on uh, somebody from an underrepresented background or are like filmed by or made by someone from those backgrounds. So the ones we had a Glasgow event in April... We had a couple of short ones, and then the kind of main features was um, "Banana Skin" by Jesse Leong, which is about being British Chinese and how and climbing in China and in the UK. We had "This Way Up," which is a film about and by I think Andy McKenna. He's a mountain biker and um, was diagnosed with MS, and how he's kind of continue into mountain biking and live his life so yeah that's a really good one well a really lovely film and then the final one was after the storm which was about anila mckenna who's a mountain biker again and she's of pakistani heritage and it was around how mountain biking kind of it's such a huge part of her life um, and has been with her through times when she's experienced racism at work and and that kind of thing another really really great film it's a really powerful watch as well
0: Mm. oh we'll put the titles to all of those in the show notes and i'm definitely gonna watch them all and and catch up on those yeah because i've been to loads of those you know the banff mountain film festival tours and the european outdoor, fi- I don't know the exact title, yes. an outdoor film tour or something like that. Yeah. And you know they're fun but it does always feel like the majority of the films it's the same type of protagonist and yeah. the yeah. same style of message and you do often get the sense of like oh here's just someone who there's something outrageously dangerous, but it's captured on camera and luckily it all goes well. So yeah. <laughs> let's watch it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think, and that's the thing I found in myself, like certainly in the earlier days of climbing, you know, I loved watching climbing films, but now like if it's just a climbing film, I'm a bit like, Egh. it's probably gonna something like really hard that I'm never going to be able to do. And I think unless there's, unless it's relatable to me in some way, or there's a bit of story and it's about deeper than just the climbing, then mm-hmm. I'm, I don't really bother watching them anymore. Mm. Because it's like, well, well, how is it any different from the last 20? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just someone climbing up a bit of rock.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and listening to those stories and seeing those stories and connecting with the individuals behind them, even though they focus on the individual, they do actually open up to the community and they are yeah. hopefully getting more people into the outdoors and into these outdoor sports
1: yeah yeah I think that's it having the the depth because even people who we see you know your typical like middle-aged white man who we see as like the main person in the outdoors if you do have a story that goes more into their background like it becomes more relatable Mm -hmm. for everyone Mm, yeah so yeah we want to kind of focus on those stories that Aren't often being shown in those mainstream tours, yeah, and that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: And do you feel that maybe through the pandemic, or just maybe in general in the last few years, do you feel there's these things are changing in Scotland and in the UK as a whole? It does
1: feel like
0: there's. I'm not sure if things are changing yet because
1: I think that's going to take a long time. But it does feel like there's a changing attitude. And that people are realizing that there is an imbalance into who's in the outdoors, and that things do need to be changed. And it's not a case of, "Oh well, like there's no sign saying you can't come here," so, like, what can I do about it if we can't force people to come? It feels like there's less of that attitude. Mm. Hopefully, um, it's a bit hard because I think I surround myself with people that see this from a similar viewpoint <laughs> as me. Um, but yeah, it does feel like more people are aware mm. of um, the issues. And yeah, I think so.
0: When you think about the future, where what do you hope that our Shared Outdoors will achieve?
1: I'd like it to be a bit of a platform where people can see themselves represented and find somebody they can relate to so that hopefully down the line everybody feels they can be in the outdoors or that they can see that somebody's somebody like them is in the outdoors so they can too and yeah not just uh recreationally but
0: ideally in the professional industry as well and what are ways that individuals and and professionals can support that work and and get you there yeah yeah so uh, there's lots of different ways but
1: a few are just Being really supportive if you see people out and about who maybe historically you haven't seen in the outdoors, and like just checking yourself before you make a comment about anything. If you feel inclined, think: Would I want to hear something like that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And pulling up like your friends or people you're out with if someone else makes a comment that actually is maybe not that helpful and using if you yourself have a platform using that to kind of lift people who are underrepresented in the outdoors lift them up and platform them as well and if you work in the outdoors so something that i'm trying to do is is work with more um people from underrepresented backgrounds and there's you know there's funding available there's ways you can do this and community groups you can work with to just introduce people and give them confidence and and help upskill them or offer opportunities to people to shadow you if you're comfortable doing that and that kind of thing.
0: Mm. You know that's the kind of work that hopefully the more people do that the more likely it is that those people will then have the skills and the confidence to seek the qualification and yeah yeah that whole
1: absolutely yeah it needs to be built from the bottom up yeah is the thing really um, like we can look at it as professionals in the industry and be like, oh, well, what can we do from here? But unless we're looking at the grassroots and the community groups and and how we can work with people there, then we're never going to see a change higher up. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I think is not to be discouraged that you're not seeing a change yet because these things, you know, it's going to be years and years before we see it. People need to get experience. So mm-hmm. it's going to
0: take time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that just shows how when you do some th- something as an individual, yeah, it can feel like, oh, well, what difference is that going to make? But if many different people in organisations do that little thing yeah, and have that network of ripples created, it will eventually... Like, Start in many, many different places and and grow bigger and bigger and become the norm and and become something that everybody sees and is aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, and working like collaboratively is always good as well. Mm. It's great fun. It's nice to work with other people and stuff too.
0: And reflecting on your role in all of this, it's quite interesting. You know, you, you're a mountain leader. You're a mountaineering instructor. And I guess that kind of work is, of course, related to your day job, so to say. Yeah. But it is different, right? You yeah, are probably much more active on social media with it. You're being asked to speak on podcasts, at events. Yeah. How does that feel for you? Does it feel like a departure of your job and, and something new and different?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does a little bit. It feels, so I've been doing quite a lot of these this over the last like three or four years or looking at, how diversity and inclusivity can be increased in different organisations as well. So initially, I guess it felt like a bit of a a sidestep. And I'm mixed race as well, and um, I'm a woman in the outdoors, so I am a min- minority. And it took a while. Like I've, I don't really consider myself as having faced many barriers. I've been very fortunate. But it took a while for me to realise that. I still have a perspective on this as well. So yes, initially a bit of a sidestep and a bit of getting used to, but now it feels very much a part of my work. Mm. I think that answers the
0: question. It does. <laughs> In a roundabout way. <laughs> it feels like they go hand in hand because the fact that you do what you do, you want other people to be able to do that too. Exactly. Regardless of their backgrounds and regardless yeah. of their... their level of experience maybe at some point, you know, it's like everybody this should be able everybody should be able to do this. Yeah. I think that's, that's what it. Want.
1: Yeah. And I think like as a as someone who works in the industry, like and anyone who works in the industry, in my mind, like the reason you do it is because you're really passionate about being outdoors and you want to share that with other people. Mm. So why wouldn't you work at making it as accessible for everyone as possible? Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it makes such a difference. You know, it's like the the walk we did and that listeners have heard about in last week's story episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, do go back and, and do that. You know, it does make such a difference to go with a guide, with a local guide. We didn't need you for a tricky scramble or to find the route or anything because it was a low level walk on a nice path but it is it does add so much to hear the local stories to hear about your past experiences on the island and and in this part of the of the area you know hearing about animals and plants and
1: the history yeah. of the
0: place and the different forts and all of these things it adds so much to the experience to go out with someone else yeah and not just do it by yourself and yeah hopefully there's a need for many 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 more of you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would <will> be <laughs> uh, the dream. Instructors and guides who, who take out people and, and enable those kinds of experiences and make those possible. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. And I think as different people come through, people from underrepresented backgrounds come through the, through to the professional side of the industry, it's only going to make the industry better because everyone's going to be bringing their own, their own backgrounds and their own stories And it's going to add something. So, you know, everyone's not from the same background, and it's all the same stories. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And it's like I think the parrot story is a really good example of this. You know, it's it's not necessarily something you expect to hear about when you walk on a on a small island on the Scottish coast. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and not everybody will know that story. And yeah, yeah, it's a silly example, but it's it it does add so much context to the experience and and provide a different lens on what we see and and what we experience in the country as well. Absolutely. If our listeners want to connect with you or find out more about your work or just see what you get up to up in the Scottish mountains, where can they do that? How can they find you? The best way is on Instagram, just at Kirsty Palace, all one word. And our shared our doors... Yeah,
1: also on Instagram and Facebook. Um and again, just our shared outdoors.
0: Yeah, and we'll keep an eye out for the website and any future events as well and yes. pop all those links in the show notes to make it even easier for people to reach out and, and follow along and learn and see what you do and find out more about your work. Um thank you so much for taking the time for speaking with me and taking us around on a tour on the Isle of Kerrera. And yeah, sharing your work and your passion with us. No problem. Thank you. It's been fun. big thanks goes out to Kirstie for taking us to Kerera and telling us a bit about her story and the work she does with our shared outdoors. You can connect with Kirstie on Instagram at Kirstie Palace and our shared outdoors across all the different social media platforms. If you're in Glasgow, keep an eye out for any of their upcoming film events. You can find all those links in the show notes. And on the note of making the outdoors a more inclusive space, also check out another podcast on a Tremula network. It's called On the Outside, and recently celebrated its first birthday. It's a show in which diverse panellists discuss news and current topics about the outdoor space. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own next guided hike in Scotland. Next week, we're back with another immersive travel story that sees us exploring a very different island on the West Coast. I hope you'll tune in again. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. Hit subscribe if you want to make sure you never miss an episode or sign up for our newsletter to get alerts, peeks behind the scenes and additional information about the places and topics we cover on this season. You'll find the link to sign up in the show notes. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner Thanks to Fran Chorowskis who is the co-producer and editor and does the sound design and to Michelle Payne who helps with transcripts and social media Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight the Tartan Trailburner and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace Until next time when we travel to a different place in Scotland If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland, and it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmec.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.